On this episode of This Week in Linux, we're going to be checking out the 22.10 release of the Ubuntu flavors and the latest release of the Flatpak's universal format. There's also a new distro from the Tuxedo Computers Company, plus some interesting news from the GNOME project and the Linux kernel itself. All that and so much more. So welcome to episode 216 of This Week in Linux. If you're new to Twill, this is a show by the Tux Digital Network that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world. If that's something that you're interested in, then be sure to subscribe. Let's jump right into your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Last week, we talked about the latest release of the Ubuntu 22.10 distro, and this week, we're going to be covering the Ubuntu flavors. There are a lot of flavors of Ubuntu, so let's just do this. Actually, before we do this, I just want to clarify something. The term flavor, when it comes to Ubuntu-based distros, is a specific term used by Ubuntu to classify a derivative as an official derivative. I've seen people say stuff like Linux Mint, for example, being a flavor, and that's not a flavor, as it's not officially like sanctioned or whatever by Canonical slash Ubuntu. So it, it's kind of a complicated topic because there are a bunch of different terms related to this sort of thing, like remix, derivative, spin, respin, etc. And there's also like different versions of each of those. So, well, this is kind of a complicated thing, and I think I'll make a video on this. And if you're interested in that, be sure to subscribe to the channel. But let's talk about the Ubuntu flavors. Like Ubuntu itself, all of the flavors benefit from the core updates like upgrading to Linux 5.19 and the switch to Pipeware for the default audio stack, which is fantastic. And if you're curious about learning more about that, check out last week's episode where we talk about the change to Pipeware. Now let's start off with Ubuntu Unity 22.10 because 22.10 is the first release of Ubuntu Unity since it became an official flavor. Ubuntu Unity comes with an updated take on the Unity 7 interface that was previously developed by Canonical themselves. Unity was discontinued by Canonical in 2017, but in 2020, the Ubuntu Unity remix was made to revive the Unity desktop. And that's pretty nice because the Unity desktop is a very underrated desktop environment. Now, this release, they have introduced a new toggle from the panel to switch between the dark and light theme and between different accent colors. It also replaces all the libadweta apps with Mate alternatives. In their release notes, they also talked about a lot of bold features that they have put on their roadmap. They say they are working on support for different refresh rates in Unity Settings Daemon and replacing old components slash apps and are even working on adding extension support to the Unity shell, somewhat similar to how GNOME has extensions, which is very, very interesting and kind of ambitious. So I'm very curious to see what happens in the future with this particular Ubuntu flavor with Ubuntu Unity. But up next, let's talk about the KDE Plasma-based flavors of Ubuntu. That is Kubuntu and Ubuntu Studio. Now, both of these flavors come with KDE Plasma 5.25, which is not the latest of KDE Plasma like we talked about last week, but it is the usual situation because they release so close to each other that it wouldn't be practical to try to get the latest and greatest version of Plasma in the current release of Ubuntu because there's like only a couple weeks depend like depending on you know each release. Now with that said though, for those who are interested in getting the latest KDE Plasma 5.26, you can do that with Kubuntu Backports PPA. Now Ubuntu Studio 22.10 shares a lot in common with Kubuntu, including the same version of KDE Plasma. But there is one thing to note about Ubuntu Studio, 
and that is the use of Jack Audio. Ubuntu Studio does not have PyWire default by default, and it's one of the only ones that is like that, because instead they're keeping their Jack Audio setup that they've been using for years. The reason is some backends of Jack are not yet supported in PipeWire, so they wanted to have like a transition system to go back and forth between PipeWire and Jack. And unfortunately, this transition system was not completed in time for the release of 22.10. So they chose to stick with Jack instead for this release. Even though I am a big fan of PipeWire, this situation isn't really a bad thing because Ubuntu Studio already has a lot of great benefits thanks to the Jack pre-installed approach. So while I am looking forward to see this transition thing that they're working on uh, right now, Jack, it's, it's good to go with that. Now let's talk about Ubuntu Budgie. It's another solid flavor, and in 22.10, the Budgie desktop is upgraded to 10.6.4, plus they added a bunch of extra capabilities uh, that are currently being pending for the 10.7 release of Budgie, and that's expected in the next few months or so. They've also made a lot of changes for which applications they use by default, so I'm definitely interested in checking that out. Now, the most important thing to mention about the next one, which is Lubuntu 22.10, is the introduction of the use of the latest LXQt desktop environment, version 1.1.0, which adds a lot of improvements compared to previous versions of the desktop, such as enabling native file dialogs. Thanks to the Dbus interface implementation in the PCMan FM-Qt file manager, non-cute apps such as Firefox and others can now use the native file dialog, which is fantastic. Plus, the overall look of Ubuntu improves in this version with the implementation of additional cute palettes and also the ability to save and load custom palettes, which is pretty cool. The next flavor we're going to talk about is Ubuntu 22.10, and it features the latest updates from XFCE 4.17, as well as some new updates for the GNOME 43 stack and the Mate 1.26 stack. The Bleeding Edge version of the XFCE 4.17 components are included as an early preview to the upcoming 4.18 release, which is expected later this year. XFCE 4.17 includes many new features and usability improvements, including enhancements to Thunar 4.17.9, the XFCE file manager, such as now it has the ability to do recursive file search and much more built in. And now let's talk about Ubuntu Mate. 22.10 of Ubuntu Mato includes updates to the Mate desktop and the Ayatana indicators. I'm not sure if you say that, how you say that. The main change in Mate desktop is the Mate panel though, which includes an early snapshot release of Mate panel 1.27.0, along with a patch set that adds center alignment of the panel applets. The center aligning of the applets will ship with desktop version of 1.28 for, for Mate, but Ubuntu Mate decided to ship it early and they've also made some tweaks to the Mate tweak tool in order to have that work. So there's all, all these different flavors of Ubuntu have a ton of different changes. And if you're interested in checking out any of them, you'll find links in the show notes. Flatpak 1.15.0 was released this week with some really cool improvements, including adding support for games that require modify underscore LDT working through Wine inside the sandbox. This means you can install League of Legends via Lutris in a Flatpak for an easier path to play this game. They also added an, a new variable called HTTP backend to the flatpak.pc, which allows projects like app stores to detect for compatibility with lib flatpak. There are also some bug fixes and other improvements in this latest release of the flatpak format. One other thing I wanted to mention is a great feature added to the flathub that a lot of people have been, well, requesting for as long as I can remember. 
This feature is a verification badge of official flat pack maintenance. As it stands at the moment of recording this, it has not been deployed yet, so it's kind of hard to know if it's official or not yet, but it's coming, and that's awesome because it's really important to know if it's maintained by the official project or just some awesome community members helping out. In some cases, there are also some big projects that do officially maintain their own flat pack, but it's kind of hard to tell. And in some ways, some people would consider that a security concern for, you know, you know, whether to use it or not. But it's also something to appreciate projects for and companies for. But basically, they're officially supporting their software on Linux when they support, they officially support the Flatpak. Now, for example, Firefox is, is a great example of this. It's, uh, when it was announced that Mozilla started maintaining the Snap in, a, in Ubuntu, a lot of people were asking why didn't they maintain the Flatpak. But here's the thing about that. They were. They have been for a long time, in fact. But it, it's kind of hard to tell up until this point. Now with this verification badge, it's much easier. So this is a great new feature to see being added to the FlatHub. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Flatpak or this news about the addition for the verification badge in FlatHub, you'll find links in the show notes. The Fedora team announced this week that they're going to be delaying the release of Fedora Linux 37. The reason for this is because of the OpenSSL project announcing a new version that is going to be released on this coming Tuesday. And it will include a fix for a critical severity bug. And we won't know the specifics of this kind of bug until Tuesday's release. But it could be a significant thing. So due to this, Fedora has decided to delay the release with a new target release day of November 15th. If you're not familiar with how embargo process works with this kind of thing, you might not understand why this decision was made to delay it. And just a quick explanation, when a security issue is discovered, this information is often shared with the project confidentially. This allows the developers to fix the issue before pe more people know about it, and they, so that before they can exploit it. And projects then share information with downstream so they can be ready as well when the um, embargo lifts. This is kind of ironic in that Fedora's openness means they can't start preparing ahead of time. All of their build pipelines and artifacts are all open. If they were to start building updates, this would disclose the vulnerability before the embargo lifts. And as a result, they can't work on it early and have to wait until the news is out. And they're only aware in general that the news is coming and not specifically what it is. And that OpenSSL considers this as the highest level of severity. So it is important that this fix be there. In my opinion, this is a very good reason to delay a release. And I would much rather have the fix by default rather than having to upgrade after the fact in order to get this fix. But I'm curious, what do you think? Do you think that this is a good decision that they've decided to wait or should Fedora release anyway? Let me know in the comments below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. With DigitalOcean, you get a ton of great benefits. You get to enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. And also with DigitalOcean, you get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Plus, you get support at every stage of growth, whether it's just a team of yourself, or a team of a thousand people. With DigitalOcean, you can get started with a simple, powerful cloud computing service 
and grow to whatever you need it to be. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because with DigitalOcean, they're giving you a $100 60-day free credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So go get started right now with your 60-day $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by signing up at do.co slash tux2022. This week, MemTest 86 Plus version 6.0 was released. For those unfamiliar, MemTest 86 Plus is an open source system memory or RAM testing utility. MemTest 86 Plus version 6.0 is the first major release of this program in nearly a decade and comes as a complete rewrite to better deal with modern hardware. This is a very big update as MemTest 86 Plus 6.0 now features proper UEFI support, the ability to stress the latest AMD and Intel platforms with both, both DDR4 and DDR5 memory module support. It also has support for up to 256 CPU cores and many, many other enhancements. A lot of people have been wanting an update to this project for a while, so this is great news for hardware testing. And I also saw something in their changelog that was kind of amusing and nice to see when it comes to crediting the work of others. This project has been forked and improved by other projects and is the, and this is reflected in this new version release by the following message. mTest 86 plus v6.0 was based on PC mTest, which was a fork and rewrite of, an, of the earlier mTest 86 plus 5.01, which in turn was a fork of memTest 86. It's the fork of a fork of a fork that's reforked. This is one of the best things about open source. Developers can contribute to projects and also benefit other projects at the same time without even intending to. So that's pretty awesome. And if you want to learn more about latest the latest mTest 86 plus release, you'll find links in the show notes. This week, the GNOME project announced something that may be controversial to some. They're going to be shutting down their mailing lists and migrating all of their discussions to their discourse forum. Now, they say that there are many reasons for this decision, including email spam, modernizing their infrastructure, and more. To quote Gnome, since we introduced Discourse, Gnome's mail inst mailman instance has seen a declining utilization over the past years. The new platform offers way more features than mailman, including markdown support, RSS feeds, proper spam support, multiple authentication types, topic previews, mobile friendliness, multitude of plugins to extend its functionality, API support, and so on and so forth. Of course, they could upgrade Mailman 2 to Mailman 3, but the upgrade process seems to be pretty involved. There's a massive amount of changes between 2 and 3, so it could be argued that the amount of effort involved in upgrading wouldn't be worth it or even maybe the same as migrating to a new tool. In my opinion, I think this is a good idea. I personally never really got mailing lists. Even when they were the go-to standard, for, for me, they were just so unorganized and would often lead to an endless stream of emails making managing your own inbox a chore. I mean, more so than it already is, right? But also reading mailing lists online, like the archives, it's kind of messy and trying to keep up with threads. And at one point, I did subscribe to the GNOME mailing list. It only took about three or four days of the endless stream of notifications before I decided... Mm, no thanks. So I also think that going to Discourse is a great solution. 
we have a discourse forum here for the Tux Digital community at tuxdigital.com slash forum. So I have a bit of experience using discourse and also administrating it as well. So it's a pretty solid forum experience. So I'm really happy to see that. Now the benefits and features mentioned by the GNOME team are things that I like about it as well. But I think the most practical feature for this migration is the mailing list mode that discourse has. If a user wants to participate in a discourse forum as if it is a mailing list, they can do that with this mode. So what do you think of this news? Are mailing lists a thing of the past or do you prefer the mailing list experience? Let me know in the comments or on the Tux Digital Forum, which I'll have linked in the show notes, as well as links more information about this decision from the GNOME project. There is some discussion within the Linux kernel project to potentially phase out support for Intel i486 hardware. This latest attempt to remove i486 support came from Linus Torvalds himself. He said, maybe we should just bite the bullet and say that we only support x86-32 with CMPXCH8B, which is like Pentium and later, and get rid of all the emulate 64-bit atomics with CLI and STI, knowing that somebody, nobody has SMP on those CPUs anyway, and implement generic x86-32 setup using the try underscore CMPXCHG64 loop. I think most if not all distros already enable x86 underscore PAE anyway, which makes this part to be part of the base requirement. Not that I'm convinced most distros even do 32-bit development anyway these days. We got rid of the i386 support back in 2012. Maybe it's time to get rid of i486 support in 2022. He also went on to say, I really don't think i486 class hardware is relevant anymore. Sure, it exists, but from a kernel development standpoint, I don't think that they're really relevant. At some point, people have them as museum pieces. They might as well run museum kernels. Now, this is interesting, and personally, I haven't used or even seen a 32-bit machine in over a decade, so it makes sense to me that they would do this. But I, I do think it's important for old hardware to be used for historical value. But I agree with Linus. They could just use older kernels or older distros that support that hardware rather than trying to you know, drag that hardware along with newer and newer kernels. What do you think of this idea though? Are you in support of the removal or are you gonna miss the support for i486? This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords and login forms so you don't have to do that at all. Plus, you can also do that with usernames now, which is just fantastic. And you can access your data across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile applications, desktop applications, or even on the command line, Bitwarden has you covered. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only one with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. Did I mention you get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium account because there's a lot of great options and benefits there. And it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right. Less than a dollar per month gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, primary customer service, and just so much more. So 
make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Tuxedo Computers has released a new device this week with the seventh generation of the Linux-powered Tuxedo Infinity Book Pro 16. That's a lot to say. <laughs> this is a high-quality 16-inch WQHD display that's available in the highly requested uh, 16 by 10 aspect ratio with 2560 by 1600 pixels. It also has multiple variants. There's the, the normal one that it comes with the 90 hertz, but they also have the max performance edition which has 240 hertz refresh rate. So that's four times the usual 60 hertz display for a more responsive and accurate gaming experience. It also has up to 64 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM, uh, HD HDMI 2.0 support, and it has multiple different uh, GPU options with the GeForce RTX 3050 Ti, the GeForce RTX 3060, and the GeForce RTX 3070 Gi. There's also an Intel Core 12th Gen Alder Lake i7-12700H processor with 14 cores and 20 threads. In addition to this new laptop, Tuxedo announced the first ever a public release of their Tuxedo OS distro. Up until now, the only way to try the Tuxedo OS was to purchase a device that had it pre-installed. Now, Tuxedo OS is based on Ubuntu 2204 LTS and uses a KDE Plasma desktop environment, which certainly piques my interest. Since it is based on Ubuntu 2204, that means it will have Plasma 5.24 desktop. And if you want to know more about what's notable in Ubuntu 2204, check out episode 195 of Twill and check out Twill 185 for details on the release of KDE Plasma 5.24. And one other interesting thing I wanted to talk about that sets Tuxedo OS apart from the competition is TomT. Not sure if that's how you say it, but I think. And this is an in-house developed tool that allows you to automatically repair existing Tuxedo OS installations if something goes wrong. Now, of course, you shouldn't be using it for everything because it's just not going to solve all issues, but it is recommended as a last resort before reinstallation, which is really interesting. And if you're like me and curious to check out Tuxedo OS, then you'll find links in the show notes. Kitty Neon has been updated to be rebased on the latest Ubuntu LTS with Ubuntu 22.04. KDE Neon is an LTS-only base project, so it typically updates core components once every two years. However, it does get updates from Ubuntu, like security updates and that sort of thing. Now, this means that the vast majority of the updates from the changes that came in Ubuntu 22.04 will be involved in this release. And if you'd like to know more about what is all in that, like I said in the previous topic, you can check out episode 195 of Twill to learn more about 22.04 release of Ubuntu. Now, KDE Neon is a really interesting project for a variety of reasons, but there are some caveats to mention. First of all, I feel I should mention that upgrades of KDE Neon rebasing doesn't always go so well. I haven't seen a lot of reports this time around, but we talked about this on a previous episode of Twill, episode 113, during the rebase from KDE Neon 1804 to 2004, which had a lot of reports of broken upgrades. So it's you know, likely better to do a fresh install, and I just wanted to put that out there just so you know. It also is important to know that KDE Neon is not a distro, so to speak. The, the KDE Neon Frequently Asked Questions page addresses this specifically saying that Neon is not a distro, and it also says, and I quote, while we have installable images, unlike full Linux distributions, we only are interested in KDE software. The way I interpret this is that they focus on the KDE stack itself, not the distro components, which is totally fine if that's what they want to do. 
but I feel it is necessary to inform people of this because you may run into issues due to this approach. This is why I always recommend Kubuntu instead of KDE Neon for average users looking for an Ubuntu-based option with KDE Plasma as the desktop. Additionally, I think the out-of-the-box experience in Kubuntu is a bit better anyway, so check that out if you're interested. Sure, you might not get the updates of the KDE stack as fast as Neon, but you will still get updates with a smoother upgrade experience as well, especially if you do the every six months update. And if you are a developer or just want to test out the latest from the KDE team, the Neon is a really good way to do that. But for a daily driver, for an average user, in my opinion, Kubuntu is likely going to be better for you. If you'd like to learn more about this, about KDE Neon itself, I'll have links in the show notes. Also, if you're curious about a breakdown between like what's the differences between Kubuntu and KDE Neon in a video form, let me know in the comments or on the Tux Digital forum. Valve has announced they have released the official Steam Deck docking station. So you can dock your Steam Deck and connect to a monitor or a TV and use it as a desktop, an entertainment system, and just whatever, in addition to being a great handheld gaming platform, which is just fantastic. So if you'd like to learn more about this new, you can check links in the show notes. We also have some Tux Digital news to talk about this week. First of all, as you've probably noticed throughout this episode, I am not currently in my main studio, and that's because I'm at Ryan's house recording Twill, which I will also be recording Destination Linux with Ryan tomorrow, so be sure to check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Future editor Michael here. Unfortunately, Destination Linux didn't happen this week because Ryan and I got sick. I'm not sure if you can tell by my voice. We don't know what we got, but we can confirm that it was not the dreaded C19, and we'll be back doing DL as soon as possible. I also finished some work on the Tux Digital Forum this week, including some upgrades. I migrated it to a simpler domain and many, many more things. If you aren't already on the forum, I highly recommend checking it out because you can talk with other members of the community as well as all the creators on the Tux Digital Network. We post discussion threads for each episode of each show. So if you prefer using a forum over YouTube comments, for example, then be sure to go to Tux Digital's new forum at forum.tuxdigital.com to become a member. Or maybe you prefer real-time chats instead. In that case, you can join me and other members of the Tux Digital community in the Tux Digital Discord server by going to tuxdigital.com discord. And lastly, I can confirm this week that I will be attending the Ubuntu Summit that is happening in Prague. So if you're also going to be attending, I would love to meet you, so be sure to say hi. Like I said before, I caught something, and so due to this current sickness, I may not be making it to the Ubuntu Summit now. I don't really know. Luckily, whatever I did get was pretty mild, and I might recover in time, so we'll see. For things like this, though, between different episodes of This Week in Linux, be sure to follow me on Twitter for notifications. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show, and the channel, we have multiple ways to do that. You can do it for like Patreon and others. Go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute to learn more. And if you do become a patron, there's a lot of cool perks. For example, you get to join me in the patron-only post-show, which happens basically after I release the episode. We also have like a little, like a 30-minute to an hour hangout that's just, you know, talk about what happened in the show or just whatever you want in general. You can check that out by becoming a patron. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux Zebra t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm currently wearing, and the tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff. We have hats, mugs, 
hoodies, stickers, and a ton more at tuxdigital.com slash store. And if you want some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Tux Digital Network. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.